We're in a series called We Are Family. And today, my sermon is entitled, Small Groups Bring Big Results. And I'm talking about your life. I want you to consider being in a small group or closely associated with some believers close enough where you're meeting on a regular basis, praying together, and walking together through life. It is what the New Testament expects and speaks of for all of us. We like to take shortcuts, right? We don't want to be in a small group. I remember when I was a young man, I had a a, a number of lawns that I mowed in Keys, California, where I was growing up. And there was one, one area where they didn't really make, take care of their lawn at all and they, they would bring me back every couple months to mow it and it'd always be high and my dad would always say to me, big field, he'd say, I want you to walk all the way through that field, walk the path that you would walk normally and uh, find out if there's anything in there that would destroy the lawnmower. You have to walk it before you mow it. Well, it was his mower. And so I did that the first time or two. But then after, you know, doing it a couple times, I think, what really could be there? I've checked this before, right? So one day I thought I'd take a shortcut. I didn't walk the lawn this time. And somebody had thrown a boulder in the middle of that grass about this big. And when I hit it, that rotor stopped and oil just went everywhere. And I ruined the lawnmower. I mean, I, and and, you know, my dad, who's a, a pastor, who's been a boxer, and... What that, what that means is he can beat the devil out of you. That's what that means. And, and, and um, he shows up and he says, what happened? And I said, there's a big rock. And he says, didn't you walk it? And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, well, son, that's too bad because now you're gonna, and there was about, I'm guessing a 30 by 50 patch left. He said, you're gonna have to pull all this by hand. I said, what? He said, yeah, I want you, I want you, you know, we gotta finish the job. And I said, can't we borrow more? And he goes, I just, I just want you to finish for a few hours, I pulled grass with my hands. And I'm going to tell you something. I checked for rocks every time after that. And I learned a lesson. Now, here's the deal. I, did, I wanted a shortcut. I wanted to get done sooner. I thought it'd be better. It'd be easier. I'd get to cash and run. And everything would be fine. But shortcuts aren't always good. And I'm telling you, if you don't want to be in a small group, what you're really saying is, no, nah, that's not for me. I want to take a shortcut in this faith thing. But here's the problem. It's a principle in the word of God that you walk closely with other believers. Look what it says in Acts 5.42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Look at that. They met from house to house. They had the big group, right, in the temple courts where they listened to the teaching of the apostles, but they met in homes. And I want to share with you this principle that's all through the word. Let me pray again. Father, I pray you'd move on our hearts. Lord, though we don't want to push anybody, we'd sure love to feel the pull of your spirit towards closer relationships with believers that we might be blessed. And I ask that you'd put it in our hearts, Lord, not to, uh, not to just think about it, but to move towards these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I want to share with you today. And the first is this. Here's what they're about. When you attend small groups, you'll see more of the following in your life. You'll see more of the following three things. First, more of his presence. Matthew 18, 19. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am among them. So small group of people gathering together, and he says, I'll show up in that setting. God shows up in a significant way when we're with others. 
you might say, and there are a lot of people who don't even go to church these days. They, they don't like the organized church. I, I guess they like the disorganized church uh, better than the organized church. But, but they think it's okay just to be at their home and live life by themselves and maybe read their Bible every once in a while, maybe watch somebody on TV. But he, here's, here's the problem with that. You're taking shortcuts and you're not with other believers. And when believers gather together, his presence is magnified somehow. And he shows up. We see this in the Bible. John 19, or, or I'm sorry, John 20, 19 says this. On the evening of the first day of the week. Now here's a small group. It happens to be the disciples, but they've gathered in a house. A few of them. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. I believe Jesus shows up, maybe not physically, but spiritually, every time a small group gathers of believers He's in the midst. And he said this to them, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now I'm here to tell you, I honestly, absolutely believe you'll experience God in a greater way if you'll walk closely with a small group of friends in your life. Now here's the thought for you. You've all heard about doubting Thomas. I want to suggest to you that maybe the primary reason that Thomas doubted is he didn't show up for a small group. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Then a week later, it's interesting, that's how often we'll meet with our small groups every week. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. So here they are, not in a church, but in a house, small group of believers, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, I'm sorry, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He shows up again and says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now we have people who've signed up for small groups and I'll tell you, it's tempting not to go even when you sign up, right? Because we're busy. I mean, isn't that the point? But my, my thought is, are we too busy to follow the principles of the word of God? Are we too busy to do what the Bible asks us to do? Because the Bible wouldn't ask us to do anything that hurt us, right? The Bible wants us to be with friends on a regular basis uh, walking with God. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, even from people who attend small groups, I've heard this, I almost didn't go to life group last week, but oh, I am so glad I did. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that because somehow the Lord meets them. What's, here's what's cool about the life groups here. When you get together, you get to share your stuff. It's cool to be here, but you don't really share your stuff, right, with other believers. You don't share where you're hurt. You don't get to share even the victories and those are fun and exciting to share with one another. You don't get to ask the prayer request for your kids specifically. And in small group, we just have people join together for those reasons to care about. And I promise you, when your friends will pray with you, Jesus shows up in a significant way to touch those areas of your life. You know, there have been a small group of people that have been meeting here for a number of years and we have a small group of Hispanics. And they're excited about this new church. They've been a small group for a number of years. 
but the Lord has been speaking some things to them and they're excited about what's happening. I want Angelica to come and stand with me. Uh, Angelica told me something at our small group meeting the other night and uh, you, you know that the gifts are for today, right, in the Bible? Uh, words of knowledge and prophecy. The Lord still does these things. I know there are people who, who do silly, stupid things in the name of Christ. But you, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Isn't it exciting to know that God is among us and he's moving? Well, I heard something that I thought that was the Lord that happened several years ago, and I want Angelica to share it with you. Yeah, um, it was um, uh, one of the meetings that we have uh, before with Pastor Anita and, uh, I mean, Pastor Hector and his wife Anita, I don't know if somebody remembers them. Uh, she, she, she said that uh, the Lord has given a, a vision and that she saw a lot of Hispanic people there in the campus where we met before. And I was just like, Thomas, maybe, because <laughs> I, I, I thought at that time, how, what are you talking about, hermana, you know, this is an American uh, church, so now I'm, I'm amazed to see what is happening with uh, Iglesia Esperanza, and I just have to believe, <laughs> you know, that the Lord speaks and, and that he fulfilled his promises. Amen. And, yeah. Thank you, sister. Give her a hand. Would you do that? So this small group's been meeting for a number of years, praying for a move of God among their people group. You know, there are 5,000 Hispanics alone in the Tualatin city limits, uh, not to mention all the other cities around us. Well, years ago, Anita, in the midst of a prayer time, says the Lord gives her a vision. And the vision was she saw the church at the Sagar campus filled with Hispanics. And I, and I heard her say this the last time she told me, praising God. Now, that looks a lot more believable today than it did then, doesn't it? And, and our sister Angelica said, she thought, what do you, what do you mean? As she told you, they, 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 this, is a, this is an American church. There's gonna be a bunch of white people here. This won't be, a, there won't be all Hispanics uh, do here? How could that be? You didn't say that to Anita, though, did you? No, she just thought it like the rest of us. Here's a thought for you. I, I, last night, when I came to pray I, uh, here at the campus, I, I had this thought. Perhaps it was the Lord. Part of God's plan was to move us off the Sagar campus so He could fill that church on Sunday morning with the group of Hispanics. Did you know we don't own any buildings? We don't own any land. We manage some buildings and some land for God the Father. And God the Father said, I want you to allow this group of people to come. And I want you to give it to them free. We're not going to charge them anything to be on that facility on Sunday morning. And long ago, he had planned it as part of his vision. And I believe that we're going to see hundreds more come to Christ. I believe we're going to see hundreds in a church there. And when you gather together, as these, this small group has done for this time, you see his presence in a significant way. As a matter of fact, I keep stopping and praying. Let me stop and pray one more time for that church, Esperanza. Father, thank you that you spoke. Thank you that we don't have to just stumble and bumble and figure it out on our own. That you show up by your spirit to lead us and to guide us. 
that you give your wonderful gifts to show the way. And Lord, we praise you for the hundreds that have already come, 200 in one day. And it's a sign of things to come. We thank you, Lord, for this group of Hispanics that have been here among us, loving us and serving us, but knowing that they had friends and family members who couldn't even speak English that they wanted to reach. Thank you that this Spanish-speaking church will rise up for your glory. And thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of it, along with our brothers and sisters from Woodhaven. We praise your name for this. In Jesus' name, amen. I think this is a cool season in our history. I really do. The Lord doing all these things among us. Second thought, I'm gonna try to move quick here. More of his protection. You get involved in a small group, you not only see more of his presence, hear him speaking, uh, feel the leading of the spirit, but you get more of his protection. Accountability. That's something that we all need, you know. As a matter of fact, you'll do better with people watching you. If you're accountable to people, people asking you questions. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens, or rather sharpens iron, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I heard a true story of a psychologist named Milton Rokich. He wrote a book called The Three Christ of Yesplanty, and that's a city in Michigan. And he describes his attempt to treat three patients in a psychiatric hospital. That's what the book's about. They suffered from delusions of grandeur. Each believed that he'd been called to save the world and he was the Messiah. The whole book was about that. And he tells this story in his book. He found it difficult to break through to help these patients. So he decided to put the three together and see what would happen. When he did... One of them was heard saying, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I was sent to save the earth. And the doctor said, how do you know? And the patient said, God told me. And one of the other patients spoke up and said, I never told you any such thing. (laughs) I read that and I thought, you know, that's why we need to get together because we need accountability too. Sometimes we think we're a big deal when we're not. Sometimes we're thinking wrong. Sometimes we're thinking that uh, we're not much of anything at all and we need people to lift us up. But we need each other. We need accountability. Bruce Larson wrote a book called There's a Lot More to Health Than Not Being Sick. And here's what he said in that book. Behavioral sciences in recent years have expounded the simple truth that behavior that is observed changes. People who are accountable by their own choice to a group of friends, to a therapy group, to a psychiatrist or a pastoral counselor, to a study group or prayer group, are people who are serious about changing their behavior. Thought for you and me. Do you have anywhere that you could grow? I sure have spots that I can grow. And I I need help from people. I need help from my small group even. It goes on to say, studies done in factories have proven that both quality and quantity of work increase when, they, when their employees know they're being observed. If only God knows what I'm doing, since I know he won't tell, I tend to make all kinds of excuses for myself. But if I must report to another group of others, or a group of others, I begin to monitor my behavior. If someone is keeping an eye on me, my behavior improves. The thought there is accountability, that I'm in a place where people are watching and helping me grow. 
The Bible says this about advice. We need advice too, not just accountability. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail. It's so cool to have a small group of people where you can share one of your scenarios and they can speak wisdom into it because after all, they love the Lord. They've been down the road. Their experiences show something. If you have children, small groups are just incredible because parents have been through similar situations. There's usually a couple of parents or a parent or two who's been ahead of you and had something happen and they can speak into it and bring scripture and insight that the Lord thought. And I'm telling you that I've had people really help me as a dad because they spoke into my life in those settings. With many advisors, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. We need one another. That's a protection for us. We even need believers to rebuke us. Now, this isn't, this isn't popular in our culture. I'd rather be rebuked and miss it doing the, and not do the wrong thing than not be rebuked and do the wrong thing. I'd rather get it right than not listen to people and fail. I'd rather someone confront me so I can have success and keep from having a problem. Proverbs 27.5 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. That is a profound scripture. You know, this thought today, your friends will accept whatever you do and accept you just as you are, that's bunk. They're not real friends if they know you're gonna hurt yourself and hurt your family and they're just gonna say, that's okay, that's fine. Hopefully they'll love you too much to see you hurt yourself when you hurt your wife or your children. And when it says wounds from a sincere friend, that means sometimes there are friends who come to you, and, and this should be done alone, not in a small group setting, but you can walk with one another. You call, you speak, you pray, and you're on the phone and you're texting even beyond those small groups. And if someone loves you, they can keep you from making a mistake. I read about one small group where a man was gonna leave his wife. And it was really just a stage of life he was going through. And in just a couple hours, his friends came to him, a couple of the men, talked to him, prayed with him, and he decided not to do it. And years later, that marriage is doing great. They, they worked it out. It was just something he was going through. He needed help. He needed someone to tell him, you're not thinking right. This is an article by Dave Getz, and it was written about Pastor Stu Weber. Some of you may know Stu Weber, or you've heard of him, maybe read his books. He was the pastor of Good Shepherd for decades in the Gresham area, Good Shepherd Church. And he wrote the book Tender Warrior. Anybody here read the book Tender Warrior? Okay, a number of you. It's a phenomenal book. And I, I loved it. Uh, Stu wrote it because it was real and it helped men grow and, uh, and be real about their own scenarios and places they need to grow. And Dave Getz talked to Stu about his openness. And here's what he, he said in his article. Growing up, Weber developed a temper. This is Pastor Weber. Developed a temper, which blossomed in high school and college. And Stu says, and then I went to military, which doesn't do a lot to curb your temper and develop relational skills. Early in his ministry, he stopped playing church league basketball altogether because his temper kept flaring. And he embarrassed himself in the church. A decade passed, and Stu says, I hadn't, had a flash of temper for years. I thought the Lord's been good. I'm actually growing. And then his oldest son made the high school varsity basketball squad. 
Stu said, I began living my life again through my son. And he terrorized referees. I'm just reading what was written here. On one occasion, seated in the second row, Pastor Weber wound up on the floor level with no recollection of how he got there. (laughs) He received nasty letters from church members who he says now were absolutely right on. But then he got another note. I'm talking about accountability now. And here's what the note said. Stu, I know your heart. I know that's not you. I know you want to live for Christ and his reputation. And I know that's not happened at these ball games. If it would be helpful to you, I'd come to games and sit with you. I'll sit right beside and I'll help you stay in line. That was from one of his accountability partners. And here's what Weber said. Steve saved my life. Isn't that cool? When we're idiots, and we all are at times, in one way or another, you know, you can be an idiot, idiot strong, but I'll say it anyway. You can be an idiot say, by, by not speaking at all. Silent treatment is louder than a shout sometimes. And we need, we need to help one another. It was a gentle rebuke with the gracious offer for help from a friend who was willing to walk with him. That is cool. And that's what the Bible talks about. Proverbs 9, 8 says, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. You know, the reverse of that's true, right? If it's true and forward, it's true in reverse. You rebuke a, a, a person who's not wise and they won't love you. Now, there's a way to rebuke. That's a sermon for another day. It's not openly with mean spirit to expose. But that was a really good way that Steve had with Pastor Stu to just love, walk beside. And it was all about protection and helping. Proverbs 15, 31. If you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. Good friends can save you from big trouble if you listen. Now, I don't know, this may be a reason we don't want to be in a small group. We just don't want to get too close. We don't want people to know our stuff. But the reason we like small groups to gather and we like those life groups to stay together and not have an infusion of new people every week, we don't do that. The reason we want you to take your own friends and begin one is we like you to be with people who you you like and we want an atmosphere of trust to develop. And you can't have a lot of new people interjected if you're going to have trust developing. We can start new groups But you start trusting one another, you start praying, you start walking with one another, and we get real growth. There has to be a degree of vulnerability, but that vulnerability doesn't happen until trust is developed. That's what these small groups are about. We We want trust to be there. Good friends can save you from trouble. You may have seen this video this week, but I I want them to start this video and I want you to take a look. It was remarkable what happened this week. This is a motorcycle rider who had an accident. Someone from an office building taped it. He is trapped underneath that car. The motorcycle's trapped as well. Some people come, a small group of people, and they tilt this car up, and then it's amazing what you see here. He was trapped, and they pulled him. Literally, his hand goes through the flames there, and unbelievably, he just had a couple of broken bones, and he lived through that, but he would not have lived he would not have made it unless that small group of people showed up to help. Now, I'm, I'm all over this sermon this week, so when I saw that, I thought, whoa, 
That works pretty good with what we're talking about this week. That there's a small group of people that can rescue you and help you. Sometimes rescue you from your help, and this is a good segue to point three. Sometimes help you when you can't help yourself because you're hurting so bad. And that moves me to the third point, more of his power. I believe you'll see more of his power when you gather with these believers and you walk with them. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now it's true that this could be a sermon about good friends or close friends as well today. I think these principles work for small group. But, 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 you know, the whole point of a small group is to get friends and walk with them who love you, that you love as well. This is a story written in the book called And You Should Be Glad, a book written by Bob Green, and it's moving. Bob says this, when during an already painful juncture in my life, my wife died, I was so numb that I felt dead myself. In the hours after her death as our children and I tried to figure out what to do next, how to get from hour to hour, the phone must have been ringing but I have no recollection of it. The next morning, one of those mornings you awaken, blink to start the day and then a dispiriting second later realize anew what has happened. And you feel the boulder press you against the earth with such weight you fear you'll never be able to get up. The phone rang and it was Jack. I didn't want to hear any voice, even his voice. I just wanted to cover myself with darkness. I knew he'd be asking if there was anything he could do. But I should have known that he'd already done it. I'm in Chicago, he said. I took the first flight this morning. I know you probably don't want to see anyone. That's all right. I've checked into a hotel and I'll be there just in case you need me to do anything. I can do whatever you want or I can do nothing. He meant it. He knew the best thing he could do was to be present in the same town to tell me he was there and he did just sit there. I assume he watched TV or did some work, but he waited until I gathered my strength and I said, I need you. And he helped me with things no man ever wants to need help with. Mostly he sat with me and knew I did not require conversation. I didn't welcome chatter. I did not need anything beyond the knowledge that he was there. He brought food for my children. And by sharing silence, he got me through those days. I'm just here to tell you, we all need somebody. I'm here to tell you that God's will is that you walk with people. Let me see if I can say this in a compassionate way because I, I really don't want to make anybody feel guilty. I just want you to know what's there for you. Through the years, you know, I've been a pastor 18 and a half years here at this church, senior pastor now. Through the years, from time to time, I'll hear people say, and it makes me sad, it makes me feel bad, it makes me feel like we, we should have served them better, but they'll say something like this. I was hurting and no one was there for me. Now, in almost every one of those cases, I'm just gonna be honest with you, in almost every one of those cases, they weren't connected very closely in the church. 
They came and they sat like this on a Sunday morning. But they didn't meet with a small group and they didn't even tell people what they were going through. And before we knew it, they'd be gone and they'd be upset at us. Where, where were you would be the thought. And that would make me feel bad. I want to be there. But you know, like a group of pastors can't be there for a thousand people, right? I mean, we just, we can't get to them all. It's not even God's plan. We're supposed to equip people for works of service. And we can be there for people, but we can't be there for everyone. The small groups are the way we care for one another too. Food is brought. People visit at the hospital. People, people care. And when you show up for your small group, you are the church. That's the point. We care for one another in a deep, heartfelt way. And I wish I could say, it just didn't feel appropriate at the time. But I almost want to say, when people say, where were you? I almost want to say, well, where were you? Where were you when we were talking about small groups and getting in them? Where were you when somebody needed you and you didn't know about their issue and their problem? And I don't want you to feel guilty, but I want you to know that this is Bible. You can't skip this part. You can, but there's a price to pay and you might hit a rock someday. And then everything gets harder and not easier. And bitterness can set in and trouble can ensue and maybe the most desperate, terrible feeling of all, loneliness. And God doesn't want us to be lonely. He wants us to be there for one another. About 10 years ago, a storm hit in this area. Trees went down everywhere. As a matter of fact, right behind our fence was the most beautiful tree that we loved wasn't on our property but it fell in that wind and uh it was a type of tree i can't remember the name of that tree madrona there's some around the property they're they're unusual for this area but madrona they have that red bark that kind of comes off like paper and they're just beautiful trees almost a rubber like leaf there was a beautiful madrona tree right behind our our fence and it fell over and we were so sad because we, we just loved that tree. It offered us some shade. And when I went out there, I thought it was interesting. It had a root system. Though the tree was probably 30 feet tall, I bet you that root system, though it was maybe 10 feet wide from, from base to base, the root system, because it all came up with a chunk of dirt, it was only about a foot deep. It was shallow. And so it went down. And I thought, man, I, I thought, how can we stand it back up? But it, it, there's no standing that tree up. How can we make, you know, can we dig a hole big enough? I didn't know how, and I called somebody and go, no, it's gone. You, you, you're not going to be able to save that one. And then because the wind had been in the 80s, and there had been gusts that were just incredible, I was really worried about the Sagart campus, right? We have a beautiful, beautiful campus over there. Love that campus. You know, through the years, we've tried to build it out kind of a Sun River atmosphere because it's, it's just all throughout those huge evergreen trees, right? And I went over there thinking, man, we're gonna see trees down on buildings and those are big trees. I mean, those are 70, 80 feet tall and they, they'd just rip right through a building if they went down. And I drove over there afraid to look. And to my amazement, there were branches down, but there were no trees down. And I felt like, wow, God has protected us. And I think he did. He protected those properties. But I talked to an arborist and I said, you know, I think God spared us. That's amazing. No trees went down. Trees are down everywhere. Gone through houses and um, it, it was a bad storm. And an arborist who attended the church said this to me. You know why those trees stood? And I said, no, why? He said, because there's so many of them. And when they're that big and they're that close, their roots will interlock together underneath the ground. 
And when they're together like that and their roots interlock, when the storms come and the winds blow, they don't get knocked down. They can all stand because they're close together and those roots support one another. Well, that's the point I'm trying to make today. If you'll stay close and let those roots go down deep and intertwine with other believers, you will find that you'll stand stronger. Ecclesiastes 4.10, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble.